From WBZ News Radio in Boston, this is New England Weekend. Each week we come together to talk about all the topics important to you and the place where you live. Thanks again for tuning in this week as always. I'm Nicole Davis and first on the show this time we'll start in Franklin. A couple there are one of the many around the country over the past few years setting out on a different path and going into business for themselves. Patrick and Beth Downing came from a family of pharmacists. They too were in the industry, but now they're lifting spirits with the new distillery. We'll talk to the Downings about their journey to open up this distillery, the pitfalls they dealt with, and what they have to offer if you choose to go and visit. After that, we'll get some very timely information from Katie Ford. She's over at the Boston Office of Housing Stability. That's because at the end of the month, the city's eviction moratorium is coming to an end. Katie and I will talk about the resources available for both landlords and renters as Everybody tries to get on their feet through another tough time for the economy. Well, certainly over the past couple of years, a lot of people have been making big changes in their careers or trying something completely different. I think a lot of people in COVID especially have thought, hey, you know, life is too short. It's time for me to chase my passions and try something new. Well, that is definitely the case for a couple from Franklin. For years, they've been working in their family tradition as pharmacists behind the counter, and many other people in their family have done the same. But now they've found the perfect prescription to start new and also bring in their roots. They're opening up their very own distillery and certainly embracing their background in the process. It's called Glen Farmer Distillery. Patrick and Beth Downing are the founders and the owners of the distillery. They're here on the show with us now to talk about this. Uh, Patrick and Beth, it's great to have you both. So, Patrick, when did you realize that spirits, all this, was something you wanted to do? Well, I mean, I think, one, you have to enjoy alcohol. And so that's that's certainly a, a, a baseline um, premise to the, the, the concept of, of wanting to do this. So um, I came, became introduced to spirits back in 2004. Um, Basically, I was on a a Caribbean island, and it was after a hurricane. There was no power, and so you know the only thing you could do was, you know, there were local restaurants that were cooking chicken and whatever vegetables they could harvest, and because there was no power, there's no ice. So basically, you drank whiskey at night, and so that was when I first became exposed to it. And and over the course of time, you know, you do that consistently, you come to actually really enjoy it. And that was the case for me and, and went through a series of, you know, first scotch, then Irish whiskey and in round about 2007 became exposed to my first American craft whiskey. And, and that was when I first realized, oh my gosh, you don't really need to hail from Scotland or Ireland to be able to make great whiskey. And so that's probably where the idea first came from. And then probably about, you know, four or five years ago, you know, continuing to talk with my wife about the idea of, of wanting to, you know, do something. We, we both enjoy hosting and, and taking care of people. Mm-hmm. And from a hospitality standpoint, this seemed to be, you know, something that we would both enjoy. And um, we were talking about a, a potential location as we started to think more and more seriously about it. And then this location in, in Franklin, which I had kind of pitched her on this vision of this would be a neat place to put a distillery, mm. not really knowing anything, but just that the building itself was rustic industrial. It was granite, heavy timber. And then it, it, 
quietly became available for sale. And, and we thought, oh, my God, is this a sign? <laughs> That's kismet. It was meant to be. So then, you yeah, know, Beth... we actually felt like it. Yeah, yeah that was kind of it. Yeah. yeah. So Beth, then talk to us about, um, you know, the process of putting this together. I mean, starting a business is not easy. Entrepreneurship was never meant to be easy. But, you know, <laughs> you two as a couple kind of going in the, this together in a field that you loved, but you're not exactly experts in. Tell us about the process right. of that. Sure. So through all of this, um, it was in 2018, um, Pat said, hey, there's this place in Louisville, Kentucky called Moonshine University. So I think if we do this, I think I I should probably go there and check it out. I'm like, yeah, sure. So it was a week long, um, you know, conference, whatever. And um, his intent was never to be a distiller. He just wanted to learn more about the business. And um, he often says it's the degree he's most proud of. <laughs> so he has a, a pharmacy degree and a business degree, and he jokes that that's the degree he's most proud of. Which, And then it was, um, as he was alluding to earlier, it was like right after that, he wrote up the business plan, and he's looking up and down the 495 corridor for a location. And this was quietly, very quietly on the market, because we live in Franklin, and there was no for sale sign. So like mm-hmm. you said, it was kismet, whatever. It was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. here's this business plan. Here's the perfect building that, you know, you know, just seems like it should house a distillery. Although it seems like it should house a distillery, um, there were a lot of things we had to do to it um, in order to, you know, get it ready to host a distillery. Yeah. Sure. yeah. yeah. Because most distilleries are on, you know, a ground floor concrete slab. Ours isn't. We have a basement underneath. So before we could even do anything that would remotely look like we're starting a distillery, everything was, you know, in supporting the floor underneath with um, a lot of support that we needed to do. Mm. Um, so yeah, that takes time and that takes a lot of money and you know, putting it all together, like what are, I guess, Pat, some of the roadblocks that you ran into? Or was it, you know, obviously the building was kismet, everything all came together, but then did you find yourself facing any sort of resistance or or trouble? Uh, Yeah, pretty much at every turn. Oh, love it. It's it's, it's, it's been a a complicated road. You know, as we look back on it, it it doesn't seem as daunting as as when you're going through it, but you're kind of tackling one problem at a time. So, you know, we, we've, run into problems with everything from our actual name is, oh. is was a challenge. You know, the Scotch Whiskey Association had a problem with the use of our the word Glen as part of Glen Farmer. Um, the federal government had a problem with the use of our word farmer with a PH because uh, of the association with pharmacy. And in, in the United States, you cannot uh, promote alcohol as having health benefits. And they believe that our our family story, which is, you know, that Beth and I are both pharmacists and we, we had our own pharmacy. Uh, we come from a family of pharmacists historically and, and during prohibition, that's that's how people legally got alcohol was by prescription. Right. So a lot of people aren't familiar with that. And certainly that isn't how most people got alcohol. Um, <laughs> but, but that's kind of a, a historical association. So we ran into problems with that, but also from, as Beth alluded to the the engineering um, aspect of, of preparing you know the, the building is a granite building we had to cut the walls of the building to get the stills in um, and that's not easy when a second floor you know you're talking about thousands and thousands of pounds of granite that you got to support and then um, 
we had a, a, a sprinkler system and just before we were to open the state fire marshal said you got to replace the sprinkler system mm. that was not something we planned for budgeted so th there were a lot of obstacles the regulatory aspect back in in 2018 um it was the fall of 2018 um and we had applied for what's called a distillery site permit and you may recall that was around the time that the federal government shut down right yeah. so we had, we had lined up all of these arrangements we had had made an offer on a building we we were you know trying to line up our our financing and and basically it almost all came to a halt because we weren't sure that we could get the federal government to actually issue the very permit you know that would be necessary to to move forward so mm -hmm. that was kind of a pins and needles mm -hmm. um in in quite literally every step along the way you know is is um we move forward it was just one thing after another and it's it's not the kind of project whereby you can start it and then when you run into a problem you can stop no, or, or no, go in a different not. direction you know at some point you reach a, a point of no return and and the only answer is that you have to keep moving forward mm -hmm. um so you know to to be able to navigate those things was it was a bit of a challenge i'm not gonna lie you <laughs> You know, that's what we call the, the distillery diet, you know, <laughs> where you, you lose weight and it's effective. Oh, that's what they call anxiety now. Okay, the distillery <laughs> diet. Got it. Um, and, and then to, to kind of get through it and you feel like, okay, we, we survived all this and, and we're actually going to be able to launch. And, and, <laughs> and then the global pandemic ha happened. Oh, we literally yes. got the... Um, our certificate of occupancy the Friday before everything was shut down. No. So we, we weren't sure. I mean, Beth actually had to go to uh, our, our town. The town of Franklin was so supportive of us throughout the, the process. I mean, it's complicated, but they still were supportive. And um, that Friday, we, we kind of anticipated because everybody was talking about how governments were going to start shutting down. And Beth went to her town offices and she literally waited oh, wow. <laughs> until she could get the the occupancy certificate of occupancy because we couldn't um we couldn't finalize everything without the certificate of occupancy and um thankfully um we we were able to get it and um then as she said everything shut down the following week oh, goodness. and so you know that's not necessarily how you want to launch um a distillery because you, you can't have people taste anything no and and it's also not how as you, you may be aware we we did something a little bit different where we we paired the distillery and, and made our tasting room you know a full scratch kitchen and that's not how you want to launch you know what most people perceive as a, a new restaurant mm. um with takeout and so we had spent months creating you know, a, a very special menu, we thought, yeah. with our executive chef, and, and we're like, we'll get crucified if this is the way it gets introduced, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. put it in a box by the time people get it home, it'll be, yeah. you know, steamed. Ew, <laughs> and, yeah. and cold, so. The interesting part is, um, when the pandemic hit, distilleries were considered essential business. That's right. So, <laughs> yeah. so our distillers are able to start um, distilling, 
and it, you know, it's a process. So they were able to do that. And then um, we launched our, our takeout menu in May of 2020. And like Pat said, our, our chef redid the menu. He made it like family style to go. And, and then when Baker said we could do outdoor dining, luckily we already have, the building is beautiful. We already have a patio and we have a covered bridge. So we have the outdoor wow. dining. So um, that was, it was one of the fortunate things. And that was so fun for us because, you know, we would go and we would talk to tables and um, although we've never been restaurateurs before, our staff were like, hey, you're kind of messing up steps of service here. So okay. yeah, we were talking too much. So um, then we kind of um, tried to learn a bit more about um, making sure that we're not affecting the service um, when they're trying to take orders and that type of thing. But we still love talking to tables and Hmm. interacting with people and that part has been super fun. Let's talk about how you kind of then took your skills from working in, you know, pharmacies and trying to make yourselves, you know, restaurateurs essentially and and segue into this industry. How have you been able to to mesh the two in a way? What sort of uh, skills did you bring from your life in a pharmacy over to starting this distillery? Kind of two things that I would say. One, they're not fundamentally that different. Because at the end of the day, it's about customer service. Right. And so if you think about pharmacy in, in the patients that you take care of, they're typically dealing with health issues. They, they can be very friendly, but they also can be in a bad mood many times because they're, they're dealing with health crises. And so being able to interact with them and meeting them where they are is an important part of, of making them feel good and having a, a good relationship and kind of helping them through their difficult times. And then if you, you, you think about the hospitality industry, it's all about customer service. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, people can be demanding as, as customers and they, if they're going to go out and they're going to spend money, you know, they're going to want a, a great experience. And so you're really trying to draw on very similar aspects of what I call hospitality. It's just taking care of people. That's really what it's all about at the end of the day mm -hmm. in business or in, you know, the pharmacy industry. You're just connecting with people, right? Yes. And, and we've been incredibly fortunate to have an amazing team of people who from the very beginning kind of bought into our vision and, and our idea of what we we're trying to put forth, not only from from the distillery aspect of, of creating great spirits, but also from the experience aspect of pairing those with a, a chef-inspired menu and, you know, doing a very creative cocktail program. You know, we can't, as a distillery, we're not allowed by, by law to serve beer or wine. So that means that when people come to dine with us, we've got to make sure we have a, a cocktail program that's really creative and in that engages people, not only in the cocktail, but the fact that the base of the cocktail are spirits that we're making right here. Well, then let's talk about what people will get when they show up. Beth, I'd love to hear about the types of spirits you have. And if somebody makes a reservation, they show up. Tell us about the experience. Sure. So like Pat said, we have a full scratch kitchen. Our cocktail menu is super fun. We actually have um, a smoking section which is our smoked cocktails. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, so we have the smoked old fashioned, the smoking gun and the smoking volcano. 
Uh, my favorite is actually the Smoking Volcano, Isazar Ghost Pepper uh, Vodka as the base in the Mesa Ghost Pepper or Ghost Guava Barbecue Sauce. Um, and then topped with um, a chili thread. And it comes out um, with a cloaky. So our bartenders will infuse smoke into this apparatus, which the, the drink sits on a piece of wood. And then we have the cloaky on top and they introduce the smoke. And then the smoke then, you know, fills the cloaky, it fills the inside of the drink yeah. and the drink takes on that, that smokiness. And oh, then it's cool. served. It's really fun. And the presentation is super neat. So then, you know, the server will come to the table and lift off the cloaky and it's, it's just, it's super fun and it's totally delicious. That said, we um, we have five types of spirits, um, and they're all available in all of our drinks except our whiskey because our whiskey is still aging. So we have um, rum, we have spiced rum, we have a um, a dark tide rum, which is rum that we age in a barrel. We have Glenquila, which is tequila, but we can't call it tequila because Mexico owns the rights to the name tequila. Oh, okay. And what am I missing? Uh, vodka and gin and for our vodka we also have some I mentioned the ghost pepper vodka we also have a cranberry vodka that we call bog in which we get the cranberries from a local uh, bog in Carver Massachusetts Ooh. and it's delicious and then one of the newest vodkas that we've launched is our bean so it is a vodka with vanilla and espresso bean and it is Oh my gosh, it is like it has just taken off. We launched that December first, and it is quickly becoming it's our like an espresso martini. Add anything? Oh wow! Super good, yeah. Um, and in fact, our smoking gun has that as the base spirit in it, um, and the smoked old fashioned has our dark tide. Um, but in all of the other cocktails, we we use all of the other spirits, like I said, except for the whiskey, since that's still aging. I mean, that all sounds incredible. And as somebody who is, I'm not too educated on spirits. I think that sometimes, uh, you know, obviously anybody can go to the bar, right? And anybody can order a beer and, and have whatever. But, you know, Pat, I guess uh, talk about this, because people who want to come to the distillery but might not be too educated in spirits. I mean, I'm assuming that the distillery is a learning experience for everybody, right? Yeah, we, we very much try to make it a learning experience. So, you know, first of all, you can come and, and just do a tour and tasting. So we, we do offer those each week. Um, and we go through the process of, of kind of explaining the history of the brand, as well as taking them through the production area and in the area where we barrel, um, you know, at least the whiskeys and the, the tequila and the, the rums. So we, we do try to make that part certainly educational, but we also try to make the, the dining experience uh, interactive and educational. So our, our service and our, our bartenders and, you know, our bartenders are actually mixologists because they're, they're very creative as well. Mm. Um, they're, they're great in understanding, you know, one, how we create the spirits in kind of conveying that. So as guests have questions, they're able to, kind of provide that backstory um, that helps them understand how we're able to produce the spirits and, and ultimately incorporate them into certainly the cocktails. But we also have been very fortunate to have a great executive chef and, and sous chef and Eric and Kevin um, to create some really interesting food pairings. And we tried to do things that are a little bit different 
Um, so again, from that guest experience standpoint, we didn't want to create a menu that was the same as what everybody else was offering. So even what we we phrase it as it's it's familiar, but it it kind of moves people out of their comfort zone a little bit. So um, you know the the preparation of it may be a little bit different than what they've seen in in other places. Hmm. All right. Well, then I guess my final question for you is for both of you, you know, you two as a couple, you know, a very strong couple, looking back, your history, working as pharmacists, your business is up and running, it is thriving. I mean, how do you feel about how far you've come and where you're at now? And, and what do you feel about the future? What are you looking forward to? <laughs> I'll let you go. <laughs> I mean, we, we still... I think we feel like there's still a lot to do. Um, we love doing this. We we love talking to people. We love um, the fact that our team is is so amazing. We've the spirits that um, our distillers have created have already won awards. And for such a young distillery, it's 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 you know we're just so surprised that in such a short time um, the awards that we've gotten. So. We just want to keep um, creating great spirits. We want to keep having um, guests come in and enjoy our spirits and the food, and and just to, to be able to come here and know that um, you're gonna just have a wonderful time and great service. Well, Patrick, then tell us um, where can people find the distillery? Where that where can they connect with you? Um, how can they find you on social media? That sort of thing. Sure. So uh, on social media. We're on Instagram at, at Glenn Farmer, G-L-E-N-P-H-A-R-M-E-R. And in our website is glennfarmer.com. Um, Facebook, you know, Glenn Farmer. So we're, we try to be active mostly on Instagram and Facebook. We're located in Franklin, Massachusetts, right off, literally, it's less than a quarter mile off of exit 43, what used to be exit 17. Um, and it's, it's kind of a neat location because, you know, we have a covered bridge. There's a river that long, runs alongside the building, and yet literally it's a quarter mile from the interstate. And so it, it looks like it's, it's kind of set out of the way, and, and yet it isn't. Um, we're now in, let's see, as of yesterday, we're in 63 liquor stores, and, and each week we're trying to grow that. Um, so... People are being able to find our spirits in more and more locations, um, and we're, we're certainly appreciative of the, the reception that uh, liquor stores have, have been giving us and the response they've had to our, our spirits. So we're excited, you know, that as challenging as it has been, especially launching in the middle of the pandemic, um, it's, it's moving in the right direction, and, and we're optimistic that we'll be able to continue to grow and create a, a great experience for people. Well, I am so excited for you. I look forward to watching you thrive and grow. And um, thank you both for the time on the show, Patrick and Beth Downing of Glen Farmer. It's been great talking with you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Well, in just a few days here at the end of the month, a big change is coming in Boston as the city's COVID eviction moratorium is coming to an end. This moratorium certainly has caused a bit of controversy in the city of Boston. Landlords say it's time for renters to pay up after two years of COVID because they've got a mortgage to pay. They've got to pay for new appliances. And they say that if the person in the unit can't pay by now, they want to be able to find somebody who can. 
On the other side, though, housing advocates say the state of the economy is still really rough. Inflation, unemployment, the fact that people are still struggling to get by are reasons for that moratorium to stay in place. Now, the city announced a couple weeks ago this move was being made, and in that announcement, they noted there are resources out there, both for renters and landlords affected by this. So joining us on the show now to talk about these resources, talk about the moratorium, is Katie Ford. She is with the City of Boston's Office of Housing Stability. So, Katie, thanks for coming on. Uh, to start here, give us a bit of background about the moratorium itself, why it was put in place in the first place, and why it's coming to an end right now. The Boston Public Health Commission issued a moratorium at the end of August of 2021, and that was in response to the Supreme Court overturning the federal uh, Center for Disease Control's moratorium. So uh, that public health uh, moratorium has been in effect since the end of August of last year, and uh, it had been challenged a few times in court. But um, the main thing is, is that, you know, COVID is no longer on the rise. And so it has a lot to do with the spread of COVID. That was the whole purpose of it. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, you know, it's really important to remember what it impacts. So the moratorium didn't stop landlords from taking you to court. It didn't stop, you know, yourself from paying rent. All it did was um, it made it so a constable could not actually physically remove you from your home. So the impact of that is, um, you know, we're very proud of these numbers, actually. So statewide, a little over 20,000 eviction cases have been filed since October of 2020. Um, Boston only accounts for about 10% of those, around 2,100 of those are from Boston. Hmm. And of, of those 2,100, only 425 households have actually been ordered to leave their homes. So this moratorium um, would, would have helped those 425 people who were ordered to leave their homes. All right. So then we look forward as we make our way out of this moratorium. I mean, how many people then do you think here? I obviously you probably don't know exactly, but I mean, what are we looking like when it comes to how many people might still be struggling to either pay the mortgage or pay the rent because of these financial troubles connected to COVID? And, you know, our office has been around for um, since before COVID. We're obviously going to stay. Uh, we, we're not going anywhere. Right. Um, but we get calls all the time with people struggling to pay rent. I know the state's receiving um, thousands of applications statewide every single week. I know that our office is receiving, you know, a little over 100 applications a week for rental assistance and utility assistance. And, you know, I think a lot of people are struggling right now. It's just really tough. You don't know what variant might pop up. And so a lot of people are still hurting um, from that impact. And then the other thing to remember, too, is how it it's a dis it's a disproportionate impact on um, renters versus homeowners. Yeah. So for example, if you're late on your mortgage, um, you know, you can work with your mortgage company and they won't even go after you until you're at least three months late on your mortgage. But if you're a renter, you're expected to, you know, pay, pay a lump sum of all the amount that you owed. And that's why those mm -hmm. rental assistance funds have been so critical. And that's why of the 2,100 people who've had cases filed against them in the city of Boston for eviction, again, only 400 people, 425 folks have been ordered to actually leave because we've been able to connect people with resources, which is key. We want to take a proactive approach to this. Yeah. We have our eyeballs on every single eviction case that's filed. We call the people, we email them, we send them a postcard if we can't reach you that way. And we tell them about the legal assistance that we offer. We tell them about the financial assistance that we offer. But more importantly, we tell them about you know the housing um, stabilization services that we offer. Are you in a unit that you can afford? What's your plan? Um, those are the proactive approaches that we're trying to make. We need to flip the culture so it's not on the tenant to find the resources. We want to reach out to the tenants and connect them with the resources. Absolutely. And you brought up a really good point that I think some people are really worried about come, you know, the end of the month. 
as you mentioned, the moratorium is more just like, okay, if you're missing a couple of months of rent, you still have to pay the rent, right? And I think that people are worried, okay, now come April, I'm going to have, you know, six, seven, eight months of rent that I might have piled up. So let's talk about how you can then reach out to these people and help them get through that. Sure. So we, at the, in the fall of 2020, we passed an ordinance that was passed unanimously by city council that requires landlords who are asking their tenants to leave to send our office a copy of that letter. And then what we do is we reach out to those tenants and we connect them with resources. So you should have never gotten to the point where you had court. Um, but again, this moratorium, it never stopped your landlord from taking you to court. Right. It just stopped them um, from removing you from the home after they've uh, um, been awarded a judgment. But there are laws right now in effect where, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have a pending rental relief fund application, your housing court case is essentially stayed until the application process goes through. Um, it's real important that landlords continue to cooperate with the city as we try and get the rental assistance out the door. Uh, this is still, I think, the only time in my lifetime that uh, landlords will be able to be reimbursed 100 cents on the dollar wow. in most cases um, for the rent that they're owed and that tenants are able to um, get rid themselves of that burden. You also think, too, that, you know, it's not just COVID. I mean, obviously, this was a COVID-based moratorium, but inflation is through the roof right now. Unemployment is getting better, but there are still plenty of people who don't have jobs. The labor market is just a mess. There are so many factors coming in right now and all kind of coalescing at the same time. There are still these people who might still be struggling here in the next couple months, you know, and moving forward. So what are your thoughts on that? That's kind of the whole reason our office was set up years ago. We were made for this moment. Um, you know, and I think we have met the moment and hopefully we can continue to, you know, meet the moment. But for, for those folks struggling, it's the same story as prior to COVID. You know, a lot of folks uh, need food. So obviously that takes preference over paying rent, your largest bill, right? Um, in addition to that, we have a separate fund set aside for the Boston public housing tenants. Um, so one of, some, one of our most vulnerable populations um, to make sure that they have um, rental assistance paid so they don't lose their um, housing. And we also want to make sure that people understand that we're here for you as the city of Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have your back. It doesn't mean that we're going to be able to save your housing, but we're going to help you pay, pay off some of that debt, possibly find a new place if that's what need, is needed, and make sure that you have a lawyer to speak with as well. Now, have you found that most landlords are willing to work with the tenants who come to you and ask for the help? Or do you find that some of them are just kind of putting up the walls and saying, look, we're not going to deal with this? So, yeah, it's a mixed bag. Um, so I think of those 425 households that I referenced earlier, those are the landlords who um, they've been pursuing these evictions for a while, some of them from prior to COVID, uh, and they're ready, you know, they're ready. Yeah. Um, but I, I've seen some landlords forego a $53,000 payment from the state for Ooh. back rent because, you know, they want to they want to have possession of their unit again, and that's their right. And, um, you know, we're here to support landlords as well as tenants. So, you know, we have a really robust landlord counseling program and we're actually going to start hosting workshops for small landlords starting May 4th. And we're really excited about that to make sure that landlords are with us throughout this entire process. So they understand the financial resources out there, what it's like to be a good landlord. How do you screen your tenant? So then you don't get into this situation where someone owes you Mm $53,000. You know, how how can we continue to help small landlords? Because they're the backbone of the housing market in the city of Boston. Let's then go over really quickly Say somebody's listening, they've got this eviction notice, they say, oh my gosh, okay, the moratorium's done April 1st, I don't know what I'm going to do. How do they get a hold of you? What are their next steps? What do you recommend? Sure. So if you get a letter from your landlord, just remember, the letter is very scary. 
It's usually in bold writing, all caps, a yeah. constable delivers it to you. Unless it's a court order, you do not need to leave. So we make sure that people know that they do not need to leave their house until they've actually been ordered to leave by a judge. That's that's key. That's number one. Um, if our office hasn't reached out to you already because we received a copy of that eviction notice, call us. You can call 311 if you're in the city of Boston and ask for the Office of Housing Stability. We also have a hotline, um, 617-635-4200, or you can email OHS intake at boston.gov and we will connect you with resources um, we're very responsive sometimes maybe too responsive but we are avail very available to folks we have walk-in hours here we're right across the street from the housing court um, so we we are available we're right downtown and we are you know we need to we're ready to help you that's great because I think there's a lot of uncertainty right now. I think a lot of people are pretty scared moving out of this, you know, immediate situation with COVID. And I think that every little piece you can offer them, it's going to make a lot of difference. So thank you for being there and helping with that. Yeah. And then the other thing that's really um, important to remember, too, is that we have a clinic every Tuesday evening. It's virtual, um, but you're, you can also call in because it's a Zoom link. And uh, we put you right into a breakout room with an attorney if you're having an issue. Oh. And landlords can attend too and talk to our landlord counselor. We also have someone from our rental assistance staff available at that meeting, as well as a housing crisis coordinator. So that is like, you know, you can get a lot done in that hour and a half on a Tuesday um, if you have the time. And then if you don't have the time, again, if you call our office, we can give you a direct referral to an attorney who will call you that day or the next day. And it's just really important that people understand their rights and, um, you know, that again, know that the city has your back and we're here to help you in any way that we possibly can. Uh, you know, we obviously cannot secure new housing for you, uh, but we want to help you through that journey and let you know that, you know, evictions are traumatic. They're very overwhelming. We don't want you looking over your shoulder when you're at home because there are resources available to you. And, and we're here to help and we want we want to help. And I'm grateful you have those virtual resources, too, because a lot of people who do shift work, they need to be able to log on and get that help. So that's really great news that you're flexible and you've got all these different options for people who may not work your typical workday. Right. And we also have a tenant rights workshop every month. Next month, it's actually during the lunch hour. So if people want to, you know, log in during lunch, that's totally fine. We also have housing search workshops every month. Um, really a lot of resources because we want to meet people where they are and we want to make sure that, um, you know, they know about us, um, that we're not, uh, the, the worst thing that happens is when someone calls and they've gone through this entire process and you just kick yourself because like, I wish they would have known about us sooner. Mm -hmm. We really could have done something or different things earlier on in the process that would have um, taken away a lot of the pain of what, what is happening. Yeah. Well, hopefully this interview will help and reach some people who really need it. So Katie Ford from the Office of Housing Stability in Boston, thank you for the time. Great information. And thank you for all your help. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Really a great conversation there with Katie. And if you happen to know somebody in your life who needs that information about the eviction moratorium, perhaps you need it yourself. And you weren't able to get down all the numbers or all the access information for the Office of Housing Stability. What I'm going to do here in the next couple of days is post all this information on our social media pages. If you don't already follow us, we are on both Twitter and Facebook. I try to post one or two times a week. So you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash New England Weekend. Also, just pull up your Facebook app, type in New England Weekend, should be able to pull us up there, or head to Twitter at WBZNE Weekend. Again, at WBZNE Weekend, I will post the information about the eviction moratorium, the help for both renters and landlords. That is coming in the next few days. We'll have a safe and healthy weekend. Enjoy this beautiful mild weather almost there to spring. Join me again next weekend for another edition of the show. I'm Nicole Davis from WBZ News Radio on iHeartRadio.